0: Lesson 7 for August 9-15, to 15, Living Like Christ Sabbath Afternoon, August 9 Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to learn more about our life and how it relates to your life and how the new life that you give can be ours. And as we do so, we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us as we come to your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is John chapter 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Let's read that again. John thirteen thirty-four. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Contrary to what many think, the command to love our neighbour is not something newly taught by the New Testament. In the Old Testament, God already had commanded his people to love your neighbour as yourself in Leviticus 19.18 and to love the stranger as yourself in the same chapter. Why then did Jesus say, a new commandment I give to you? The newness of Jesus' instruction was in that it had a new measure, as I have loved you. Before the incarnation of Christ, men did not have a full manifestation of God's love. Now, through his selfless life and death, God demonstrated the real and deepest meaning of love. As Ellen White wrote in Our Father Cares, page 27, Love was the element in which Christ moved and walked and worked. He came to embrace the world in the arms of His love. We are to follow the example set by Christ and make Him our pattern, until we shall have the same love for others as He has manifested for us. This week, as we consider Jesus' tender, sympathetic, considerate and compassionate life, let our hearts be touched and moulded by his divine active principle of love, which is the watermark of true Christianity. Sunday, August 10, How Jesus Lived In spite of being constantly under Satan's fiercest attacks, Jesus lived an unselfish life of loving service. His priority was always centred on other people, not on himself. From childhood to the cross, he showed a constant tender disposition to minister to others. His willing hands were ever ready to relieve every case of suffering he perceived. He lovingly cared for those who were considered by society to be of little value, such as children, women, foreigners, lepers, and tax collectors. He did not come to be served, but to serve, as we read in Matthew 20, verse 28. Therefore he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil in Acts ten thirty-eight. 38. His sympathy and merciful interest for the well-being of others were more important to him than satisfying his own physical need for food or shelter. Indeed, even at the cross, he cared more for his mother than he did about his own sufferings. Let's look at that in John 19, verses 25 to 27. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour that disciple took her to his own home. Question. What do Matthew 9.36, Matthew 14.44 and Matthew 15.32 teach us about how Jesus looked at people first of all Matthew 9:36 but when he saw the multitudes he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd and Matthew 14:14 14, 14. and when Jesus went out he saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick and matthew 15:31 so the multitude marvelled when they saw the mute speaking the maimed made whole the lame walking and the blind seeing and they glorified the god of israel jesus was sensitive to the needs of people and he truly cared about them his heart reached out with compassion to great multitudes that were weary and scattered he was moved with compassion toward Helpless individuals such as the two blind men near Jericho in Matthew chapter 20, a pleading leper in Mark chapter 1, and a widow who had just lost her only son in Luke chapter 7. Question. What principle of action guided Jesus as he related to different people? Let's have a look at Mark 10:21 and John 11, verse 5. First of all, Mark ten twenty one. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. And John chapter 11, verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Every act of mercy, every miracle, every word of Jesus was motivated by his infinite love, an unwavering and permanent love. At the end of his life, he vividly showed his disciples that, having loved them from the beginning, he loved them to the end, as it said in John 13 verse 1. With his death on the cross, he demonstrated to the entire universe that selfless love triumphs over egoism. In the light of Calvary, it is clear that the principle of self-renouncing love is the only valid foundation of life for earth and heaven. And so to finish today, John 15.3 says, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. How do you understand what this means in daily practical terms? How does one apply this principle day by day. Monday, August 11, Love Your Neighbour. To live like Jesus means to show the same love he demonstrated. He illustrated this kind of love through the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10, which he told in dialogue with a lawyer. The lawyer summarized our duty to God and fellow human beings, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself, in verse 27. The lawyer knew his Bible well. He quoted by heart Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, and Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. But he must have felt guilty for not demonstrating love to his neighbour. In an attempt to justify himself, he asked Jesus, Who is my neighbour? in verse 29. Question. How did Jesus explain who is our neighbour? What implications does the parable of the Good Samaritan have for us... Let's look at Luke chapter 10, verses 30 to 37. How is the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself related to the golden rule? First of all, Luke chapter 10, verses 30 to 37. Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion So he went to him, and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come back, I will repay you. So, which of these three do you think was neighbour to him who fell among the thieves?' And he said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. And Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. To the question, Who is my neighbor? Jesus answered basically that our neighbor is every person who needs our help. Thus, instead of asking, what can my neighbour do for me, we should ask, what can I do for my neighbour? Jesus went far beyond the usual negative rendering of this rule at that time. Do not do to others what you yourself dislike. By presenting it in a positive way, he addressed not only what we need to avoid, but especially what we have to do. We need especially to remember that this principle does not tell us to treat others as they treat us. After all, it's easy to be kind to those who are kind to us or nasty to those who are nasty to us. Most people can do that. Instead, our love toward our neighbour should always be independent of the way our neighbour treats us. So, to finish today, think of someone who has treated you in a bad way. How have you treated him or her in return? What does Jesus' example and how he treated those who mistreated him teach you about how you could better relate to those who don't treat you kindly? Tuesday, August 12, Loving Service Question What is the basic message of Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46? Well, let's read that, beginning at verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in, naked, and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, Inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. At the final day there will be many surprises. Those at the right hand of the Son of God never imagined that their manifestation of unselfish love would be so decisive. Christ will not commend them for the eloquent sermons they have delivered, the valuable work they have done, or the generous donations they have given. Instead, Christ shall welcome them into heaven for the little caring things done to the least of his brethren. Those on the left hand will also be surprised at the reason given by the king for his verdict— Some of them will even say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Verse 22. Although these are desirable deeds, without a loving attitude, they are worthless. These people professed to serve Christ, but the Lord never knew them. Because they never really loved him or his brethren. They didn't practice the principles of true religion, as we read in James chapter 1 verse 27 Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this To visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world Commentators have suggested various interpretations regarding who are the least of these my brethren in Matthew 25:40 It is important to determine who they are in order to know the extent of our Christian responsibility Some interpreters argue that Jesus' least brethren are the apostles and other Christian missionaries. They find support for this view in Matthew 10 verses 40 to 42 and conclude that the fate of all human beings depends on how they treat Christian missionaries. Let's read that in Matthew 10, 40 to 42. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly, I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. Other scholars claim Based on Matthew 12, verses 48 to 50, that Jesus' least brethren are his followers in general. Let's read that. But he answered and said to the one who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. There is no doubt that all the disciples of Jesus are his brethren. But the scope of Jesus' words seems to be even wider. Christ, as Ellen White writes in Desire of Ages, page 635, identifies himself with every child of humanity. He is the Son of Man, and thus a brother to every son and daughter of Adam. So to finish today, think of a time when you were in desperate need of help, And someone came to your aid. What did that aid mean to you in your suffering and pain? How did that experience show why it's so important that we be willing to help others who are in need in any way we can? Wednesday, August 13, Love Your Enemies The supreme proof of genuine Christianity is loving our enemies. Jesus established this high standard in contrast with the prevalent idea of his time. From the commandment in Leviticus 19.18, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. Many have inferred something the Lord never said or planned. You shall hate your enemy. Of course, that wasn't implied in the text itself question. In what practical ways is love toward our enemies manifested according to Christ? Let's look at Luke chapter 6 verses 27 and 28. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. An adversary can show us enmity in three different ways. Hostile attitudes, hate you, Bad words curse you, and abrasive actions spitefully use you and persecute you, all from Matthew 5.44. To this threefold expression of enmity, Christ instructs us to respond with three manifestations of love, doing good actions to them, do good to them, it said, speaking well of them, bless them, it said, and interceding before God for them, pray, it said, for them. The Christian's answer to hostility and antagonism is to overcome evil with good, as we read in Romans 12.21. Notice, Jesus requests us first to love our foes, and then, as a result, to demonstrate this love through good actions, kind words, and intercessory prayer. Without heaven-inspired love, those actions, words, and prayers would be an offensive and hypocritical forgery of true Christianity. Question, what reasons did Jesus mention to explain why we have to love our enemies? Look at Luke chapter 6 verses 32 to 35. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil." In order to help us to understand this high command, the Lord used three arguments. First, we need to live above the low standards of the world. Even sinners love each other, and even criminals help each other. If following Christ doesn't raise us to live and love in a way superior to the virtue of the children of this world, what would its value be? Second, God will reward us for loving our enemies, even though we do not love for the reward. He will grant it graciously to us. And third, this type of love is an evidence of our close communion with our Heavenly Father, who, as it says in verse 35 of Luke 6, is kind to the unthankful and the evil. August 14. How to live like Jesus. Jesus' teaching set such a high ideal as a selfless loving life that most of us probably feel overwhelmed and discouraged. How can we, who are selfish by nature, love our neighbour unselfishly? Moreover, is it even possible for us to love our enemies? From a human point of view, it is utterly impossible. But the Lord would never ask us to love and serve those who are hateful and unlovable without providing us also with the means to accomplish it. This standard, Ellen White writes in Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, page 76, is not one to which we cannot attain. In every command or injunction that God gives, there is a promise, the most positive underlying the command. God has made provision that we may become like unto him, and he will accomplish this for all who do not interpose the perverse will, and thus frustrate his grace. What is the promise underlying the command to love our enemies? It is the assurance that God is kind and merciful to the unthankful and evil, as we read in yesterday in Luke chapter 6 verses 35 and 36, which includes us. We can love our enemies because God loved us first, even though we were his enemies, as it says in Romans 5.10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. When we daily reaffirm our acceptance of his loving sacrifice for us on the cross, his self-denying love Pervades our lives The more we realise and experience the Lord's love for us The more his love will flow from us to others Even to our enemies Question What is the relationship between abiding in Christ and his love And loving your neighbour? Let's look in John chapter 15 verses 4 to 12 If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, and will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandment, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another, as I have loved you. Our daily need is not only to accept Christ's death for us again, but also to surrender our will to him and abide in him. In the same way, Jesus himself did not seek his own will, but the will of the Father, We read about that in John 5.30 So we need to depend on Christ and His will For without Him, we can do nothing As we choose every day to submit ourselves to Jesus He lives in us and through us Then, as it says in Galatians 2.20 It is no longer I who live But Christ lives in me And changes my egocentric attitudes into a selfless, loving life And so to finish today Read again John 15, verses 4 to 12. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And... They gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. What is the joy that Jesus is talking about here? How can we experience for ourselves the joy that comes from serving him even when we don't necessarily feel happy about our immediate circumstances August 15. All around us are poor, tried souls that need sympathizing words and helpful deeds. There are widows who need sympathy and assistance. There are orphans whom Christ has bidden his followers receive as a trust from God. They are members of God's great household and Christians, as his stewards, are responsible for them. Their souls, he says, will I require at thy hand. That's from Christ Object Lessons, page 386 to 387. From the same writer in Heavenly Places, page 325. It is not the greatness of the work which we do, but the love and fidelity with which we do it that wins the approval of the Saviour. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. One, at first sight, the parable of the sheep and the goats seems to teach that salvation is by works. That is, the more good works you do, the better our chances of getting into the kingdom of God. But the surprise of the saved ones shows that they did not demonstrate love in order to gain merits. Jesus clearly taught that eternal life is the result of believing in him in John chapter 3 and 6 and 11. True Loving deeds come from faith and love to God, as we read in Galatians chapter 5. These deeds are the evidence, not the cause of salvation. How can we endeavour to act in a loving manner, while at the same time avoiding the trap of thinking that we are doing these things in order to earn our right to heaven? Why must we always distinguish between the fruit of salvation and the means? Two, it's one thing to love your enemies when they are nothing but annoying, unfriendly creatures such as difficult co-workers, rude acquaintances or ungrateful neighbours. That's hard enough. But what about true enemies? People who have done you harm or who intend to do you or your family harm. How are we to love them? What consolation is there, if any, in the fact that we are not commanded to love them as thyself. 3 People can argue with us over our theology, doctrine, lifestyle, pretty much anything. But who can argue against unselfish, disinterested love? Unselfish love reveals a power that transcends rational or logical argument. How can we learn to express this love no matter the cost to ourselves? Inside Story. Our mission story this week is titled, God is My Rock. I'm Angelo. I live in Madagascar, the large island off the eastern coast of Africa. My parents are Christians, but they attended different churches and often fought over what to believe. To me, church worship became a source of arguments, not an act of love. When I was ten years old, my mother wanted to enroll me in a Christian school where I would be in a better environment. She found a Seventh-day Adventist school near our home and asked Dad to let me study there. At last, Dad agreed. Until this time, all I knew about God was what my father had taught me. But in my new school, we studied the Bible as a class. I was used to arguing about God, so if a student said something I didn't agree with, I'd argue with them. However, I soon learned that the Adventist students knew lots of Bible text to back up what they were saying. Their knowledge pushed me to read the Bible so I could support my points better. My new Adventist friends encouraged me to study the Bible to see what God said, not to argue points. My interest in religion grew, and by the time I was 15, I had accepted Jesus as my Saviour and asked to become an Adventist. My mother accepted my decision and was actually quite glad – But my father wasn't so happy. We often got into arguments about Bible topics, each of us quoting texts to prove our points. My parents joined another church together to be united in faith. They hoped I would join them. But I told them that God is my rock and I want to follow him only. I've been an Adventist for three years now. My parents still haven't accepted my faith, but they've accepted my decision. I hope that one day they will worship with me in church. I can see changes in my parents because of my strong stand for God and that makes me glad. I thank my parents for sending me to the Adventist school. I thank my teachers and fellow students for leading me to the true path in Jesus and I thank you dear Sabbath school members for sharing your 13th Sabbath offering with my school in 2012. That offering has helped improve my school and provide more classrooms and dormitory space for others who want to study here and learn that God wants to be their rock as well. Your reader this week has been Dr. Percy Harold. The lessons have been brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Remember that God is always faithful.